This morning we are continuing our uh, sermon series from um, the book of Peter, the book of Peter, and um, we are in the third week. Um, we, if you remember, we started two weeks ago with Pastor Ann kind of laying the ground. Peter is in Rome writing to a church that is in trouble. They, they go through many trials. And uh, last week we looked at a church that is, um, in Peter's words, is a church that has received new life and new birth from God. And all of those who are um, his readers, the readers of his letters, are people who have experienced God's transformation in their lives. And they are people who are uh, not only born for heaven, but they are prepared through trials for heaven. And they start experiencing heaven here, even here on earth. And finally, this week, we continue our journey in 1 Peter, and we look at um, chapter 1, verse 13, to chapter 2, verse 3. And the topic is um, the same topic, under pressure, what's in your drink, you know? Kids, uh, if they go to a sport, especially if they uh, have a sport that is pretty competitive, they will just take a drink, and um, it's either, you know, Kool-Aid and... um, and some people go, they say, well, I need monster drinks or whatever. But the idea is that you want something that will spike, you know, that will just push you, that will give you a pep and, and will energize you, you know. And uh, we, we take a lot of coffee for that. But we want to fire up your day, you know. You say, I am going to fire up my day. And, and especially if you have kids that are part of sports, even the coaches will say, well, we are going to drink these drinks. And sometimes they have the drinks right there by their... Um, by the coach or by the bench, you know. Why do they do it? Why do we wake up in the morning and drink coffee? Anybody here needs coffee in the morning? Would you acknowledge that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We need that, we need that pep. Almost like at least half of us, right? So why do we drink? Because we want that energy. We want to be able to face the day and to face whatever the day throws at us. We want to be able to have a quick mind, to be sharp, to be able to... uh, uh, analyze the problem very fast to decide what the solution is and to move on, right? To move on. And that's what Peter says to us. That's what Peter says to us. Just a question. Do you want, do you mind, I'm just trying to connect this. So I will ask you to uh, follow with me. Uh, go in the sound booth, please. Yeah. And um, just, just follow uh, the text. It's, it's in First Peter chapter, uh, first verse 13. It starts like this. And for this morning, I used the message, okay? This is Eugene Peterson's translation. You know, you can follow it in NIV or whatever your Bible you have. I just decided this morning to use the message. You know, it's a different language. So just listen to the text and let's read the text together. So Peter says, this is your drink. What's in your drink, right? So roll up your sleeves when trial comes. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. When you didn't know any better, you do now. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic with the drink that you take, right? Energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, 
I am holy, you be holy. So if you just stop here, what's in your drink? Is an energetic and blazing drink with holiness. You call out to God for help, and He helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, He is also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey. You must travel with the deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb, and this was no afterthought. Even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. So clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. What's in your drink? Drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. What is your reaction when we face trial, right? If you look at the world, you know, what is most likely that most people do, you know, when they face trial, when, when there is trouble coming, what do people do? Well, the first thing they say, well, I'm shocked and I'm confused. You know, it's, wow, how come is this happening? I haven't seen this coming. And we are puzzled, we are confused. Why is this happening to me? Why is it happening now? Or maybe sometimes, why is it happening so soon? I just finished with this other trial. Now I start another one. And we definitely feel fearful and hurt. And so hurt that we try to, to numb the pain that is there. And we often, we seek, we seek revenge and we, are, we become hateful. We, we try to isolate people, you know. When we go to deep trials, we sometimes even don't want people, even, even if our kids or somebody close to us says, how are you doing? We take it as an insult because we are such in a deep pain that we don't want to say, how are you? Are you doing well? You, it's hard to say, no, I'm not doing well, you know, by thanks for asking, you know. Do you have five minutes or ten minutes to, to tell you? But there's so much pain in us sometimes that we push people away. Instead of going for help, we isolate ourselves. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said to the disciples, now my soul is filled with some anguish. And I need to pray. And he said, just pray and watch here with me. But I'm going away. He felt that the need to go and, and suffer that anguish and that battle in himself away by himself. And sometimes you do have to do that. Sometimes you do have to be uh, in isolation and face your own trials. 
But you don't have to be hateful. You don't have to be seek revenge, right? Most people do that. I remember um, there was one guy who had so much trouble that he found solace and numbness through alcohol. He said, I'm going to numb the pain by drinking. And he started to drink a lot. And then he kept drinking even after the first trial into the second trial. And the problem for him was that he couldn't stop then drinking. That drinking was basically his release. If there is trial, I am drinking. And once you start drinking, you become dependent. And he passed away from this life, drunk. He couldn't stop himself. He drank until he died. But Peter says, you are children of God. So what do you do to face troubles, to face trials, to face different obstacles in life? And first thing he says, put your mind in gear. In other words, be sober-minded. You need to face trials with a clear mind. You need to see what's happening. You need to understand the situation. You need a clear mind. And then Peter says you have to travel with consciousness. With con- Remember, he uses the word sojourners, aliens, like Ron mentioned that. What did he call us? He called us strangers, right? Pilgrims. We are like tourists you know, in, this, in this country, on this land, in this earth. This is not our permanent home. And he basically says, travel with consciousness, with a heart for God. As you travel, as you, as you sojourn, make sure that deep down you let God's heart be your heart. Transform your heart. That's why we sang just a few minutes earlier. We said, take my heart and take my mind and transform it. Travel with the heart. And then he says, drink deep from God. Let my will conform it. Deep drink from God's kindness, Peter says. In other words, we have three things to work on. On our mind, put your mind into gear. That is, make sure that your mind is ready to pick up some speed and drive. Make sure that you travel with a heart, with a consciousness. And then make sure that your will is tuned to God's will. That you take the right drink, that you take the right stuff that can help you in all of these things. So let's go look at the first one. Your mind first decides. Your mind decides. There's a battle for the use of the Christian mind. And I just want you to just pay a little bit of attention and be patient with me. I'm going to go through three things that today you find in churches, you know. And you don't have to necessarily find one church for each category, but I will say there are many, many visions. And I will summarize them in three Uh, in three ways, of what you will find in churches related to our mind, you know. There are churches that we can call them the wrong way, the wrong fundamentalist view, and they basically uh, say that um, you don't have to do much thinking, you just follow the rules, right? And maybe you've seen churches like that. Why do you ask? You know, you are asking too many questions, you know. Why do you question this? Why do you question that? Why, you know, if if you've met a church like that, you know, asking a question is almost like an insult to somebody. And then they say, well, don't read the Bible for yourself. Don't read these things for yourself. You know, you just tell, do what I tell you to do. Why do you have to study every, everything? Why do you have to analyze? You know, don't overanalyze. Don't overthink it. You know, don't think about this. Don't think it through. Just do what I say and you'll be happy. So that's the fundamentalist view. It's a narrow use of our mind. But also the liberal, you know, 
the liberal, the liberal perspective is going to be kind of the same. It's still a narrow. You think, well, the liberals are using their mind. I'm not sure. Because they also emphasize deeds, what you do versus what you believe in your heart. They don't think so much, well, what, what is your convictions necessarily? There's this wing of liberalism that is basically saying, well, you know what? Social justice trumps doctrine. You know, if you are concerned for the poor, if you are concerned for equality, if you are concerned for everybody having a chance, that you are good. And then sci- science trumps scripture. I remember a few years ago, I went to this uh, church downtown. I didn't know about it. I walked. It was called the Fountain Street Baptist Church. And because I grew up Baptist, and I thought, oh, oh this is a Baptist church downtown. I, I went in. And as I went in, I saw a lot of signs that puzzled me. You know, there was yin and yang and the, 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 those all kinds of Eastern religions and, and uh, uh, the, those signs you know, coexist and stuff, which are all, you know, good signs. But I was thinking it's strange to be in the church. You know, why would they put those things in the church? And then if you, if you study a little bit deeper and you look even on their website, you know, they say we build on the tradition, the wisdom of tradition. We build on the wisdom of tradition. It's not necessarily the wisdom of the revelation, but it's the wisdom of tradition. But are never satisfied that any practice, belief, or institution, now is belief, you know, any belief, is set for all time. In other words, they say, you know, if it was true 2,000 years ago in the Bible time, or 4,000 years ago during Moses' time, it was true then doesn't mean it's true now. If you take the Ten Commandments, it doesn't mean that, you know, those were culturally bound. They're not necessarily useful for us today. So, in a way, they put culture and the way culture says things on top of belief, on top of the Scripture, the revelation. Now, that's one way to do it. But this is what Paul says. Paul says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing what just you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. In other words, says Peter, there are some ways in which the culture in which you grew controlled you. But that was only until you, you received a new life, a new birth. Until you understood what God did for you. Until you understood how much He loves you. And once he gave you new birth, he transformed you deep down in your heart. He worked a transformation of your mind too. That's why we're saying, take my mind and transform it. How is God transforming our mind? By saying to us, I'm going to change the way you think. What you didn't know before any better, now you do. Let me tell you how you ought to think. How you ought to think. And God is teaching us. And that's why we are here on Sundays. To continue to learn. That's why on Tuesday or so when we have coffee break, ladies continue to study God's word. They say we want to know what is God teaching. What is he telling us? So that's the progressive liver view. But then there's the aesthetic and ritualistic view. You know, this is another view of the church. And in in this view, it's basically very, very ultra-high church. You know, liturgy offers religious experience. They say, you come here, it doesn't matter, sermons or teachings, you know, those are important, maybe like two, three minutes, but we don't focus on those, and uh, that's not important. The aesthetic emotion, the art, the architecture, you come here and you're amazed of how beautiful things are, and you're amazed how... 
maybe we uh, understand the Lord's Supper and you go through this ritual, the sacraments and everything else, and they basically give you indeed the teachings that you need. But doctrine is not so important. Doctrine is not so important. So there is a battle for the use of the Christian mind. And I will also say, just be patient with me. Only the Christian, only the Christian faith, only Christianity, I believe, uses fully the mind. And that's what Peter says. You know, Peter says, make sure that you are sober-minded, that you put your mind in the right gear, that you put your mind in gear. You see, there are three ways of looking at the world, and there are many ways, but I will say just broadly speaking, three ways. One is very much scientific naturalism. And it's basically saying, you know what? You are just a product of uh, many, many billions of years. And your mind, too, is just putting together many atoms and neurons. There's no absolute things, absolute truths and stuff like that that are there from God. Because there's no God. God is just this construct of your imagination. And everything you think about God, you can think of a monkey or anything else. There's no God. There's no absolute truth that you need to discover. You only just need to make your own rules. And Eastern religion, you know, Eastern religion, they believe in spirituality. Compared to naturalism, they say, no, no, there is a soul. There is an afterlife. But they believe that when you die and everything goes away from your life, you basically go back into the ocean of the universal knowledge. There's not much individuality. There's not much individual logic and reason. You don't need to use your mind. In fact, you have to lose your mind in this universal ocean that basically is going to capture you. You are like a drop of water into an ocean. And when you die, you are just going back into this universal consciousness. Universal mind. You don't need to develop your own mind. There's not much logic that you need to use. But then there's Christianity who says, no, 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 we have been created. We have been put here. There is a creator. There is a master. There is a superhuman being, which is God. And he is rational. And he gave us minds. And he gave us minds to think and to process. So therefore, we are called in the Christian view, compared to all the others, to use our mind. If you look in the 1700s, 1730, 1740, we are called to develop a Christian's mind. What did people understood then by those things? They started to say, we are not just animals that are thinking. We are human beings. And they said, we need to develop our Christian mind. So that's they, when they start universities. In this country, it was, it was the result of a powerful awakening of God's spirit moving. And that's how Harvard was started, for example. Princeton, Dartmouth, and other universities. And they started to say, we are thinking beings, and God wants us to worship Him, not only with our bodies and with our singing, but with our minds too. We have to learn how to love God with our mind too. How do we do that? So the question for us is, you know, as you think of the way God um, worked in your life, has He changed the way you are processing? Has He changed the way you are thinking? If you were to put on trial, and that's what Peter says, you know, when you go to this trial, when you're under pressure, you know, but if you were to put on a regular trial, you know, with, 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 with a jury of your own peers, would they find you guilty of being a Christian? Will they have enough evidence to say, based on how you think, based on how you process life, how you conduct your life, you are guilty of being a Christian? Do you know that Paul, Paul and Peter, in fact, Peter too, was charged because he was a Christian? That's how he died. At the end of his life, they said, you are a Christian. You are a disciple of Christ. You are going to be crucified. And Peter says, oh, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. Please crucify me upside down. 
I'm not worthy to die like, like my Savior. But you are right. You found me guilty. I'm a Christian. So how are you different now from what you used to be? And that's what Peter emphasizes a lot. When God comes into our lives, it doesn't matter when he comes and starts working at us from childhood or in teenagers or later in adult life. He's changing the way we think. He's changing the way we process trials. We process thinking. So your mind this definitely decides, right? Your mind decides. But then Peter says, your heart also loves. It's about your heart. We all love something. We all have something to love. And whether or not we love the right thing, it depends on us. But in other words, we all drink a drink. All of us are drinking. It depends on what sort of things we have in our drink. What water or what minerals what is there in our drinking? And again, go back to scientific naturalism. Basically say, we are all loving power. We are being that love power. And whoever has the power establishes what is truth. If I have the power, I will tell you what you need to do with your life. And I grew up in a system that was very naturalistic, materialist, scientific. They said, the scientific revolution tells us, and then they will tell us how to live our lives. And they will take God out of the picture and put man at the center and make rules for every aspect of your life. The love of power. They will say the problem in this world is not sin. The problem is that the, the working class, they don't have power. So they just have to tipple, to topple the, the, the power. And to, in this power struggle, they have to control. They have to control the means of production, which means basically taking your your wealth and health, the businesses, anything that produces, and to control it, this love for power. The Eastern religions, they will not say love for power. They will say, well, we all have to discover the God that is within us. In all of us, there is something from God. You know, God is in all of the creation, and creation, creation kind of sustains this God, and you have to just discover the powers that are in you. And then the Christian worldview, fear, they say, no, 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 they, you have to fear God. God is not in you. God is not about just gaining power or just uh, class struggle. This is what Peter says. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. Remember, we are again strangers in this world. We are sojourners, travelers, pilgrims. And Peter says, make sure that as you travel in your journey, you travel with a deep consciousness of God. In the NIV it says basically have a heart that obeys God. Have a, have a heart and a mind that says I know that I am limited and I know that there is a bigger mind and a bigger heart and that is God and I'm here to obey him, to do his will, to let him change me. So your mind decides, your heart loves and finally your will obeys, your will obeys. You see, there are several ways that we can, um, we can engage the world, the culture, the world in which we live. As disciples of Christ, there are several ways. And I will take a comparison. I like what uh, Pastor Tim Keller did. You know? And here's the, the, the concept of tourists, right? If you are a traveler, a tourist just traveling, what you do is you are always departing. You, you take a bus from here. Maybe you, you fly to a country. Right now, it's a lot of... Uh, uh, I think cruises going on in, in Europe or around the world, you know. And so what you do is you land there at a port and you take a bus and you stay with your own kind of uh, group, right, in the bus. You talk your own, you laugh at your own jokes and, 
and you talk your own language, and then you maybe step out of the bus and visit some restaurants and new things and, and a museum and something. You see things there. You hear different languages spoken, and then you come back in your bus at night, and maybe you go back together in a hotel, and the next day you get out of the bus again, but you are basically a traveler. You are a tourist. You never engage the culture. There's no immersion. You don't go there to change things. You are just a tourist. You go to enjoy what they have, maybe a scuba diving or maybe an interesting museum, maybe interesting foods, maybe a, a recreational park, activities for kids, but you are a traveler. And, and, and Peter says that's not how we are supposed to engage our culture. That's not who we are called to be. And then you can take the path of immigrants. You know, These are people that move from one country, and several of you know what it means to move from one country and to establish yourself in a different country. You are like an immigrant. You try to embrace the values of this country, the new country. You try to become a citizen, a permanent resident, to embrace the values, to absorb the culture, and to assimilate, to get assimilated. You know, I have a friend of mine who lives in Austria, and he lives there for 20-some years. He's now a citizen. He, he worked there for 20-some years. He established a family. He has, he has a house there. So all his uh, adult life, he lived in Austria. But do you know what they call him? He's a citizen, everything else. Do you know what they still call him even now? Auslander, right? Somebody who comes from outside the country, who will never be an Austrian, really. I mean, it doesn't matter what he does. He'll always be an Auslander, that is, coming from a different country. He will always be an immigrant. Because that's how in Europe they do, you know, things. And so... Peter says, that's, now, that's not how you relate to this world. Peter says, that's not how you engage the culture. You don't just dive in and you, you absorb all of the values of the culture in which you live. But there's one other way. And Peter says, we live here as exiles. And I like this model. It basically says, you always remain a stranger. Yes, you can... Be a citizen of this country on paper, right? And you can maybe go and fight in the independence war or the civil war and you give your life for the freedom and liberty of many people. And you are a good citizen. You work hard. You, you, you go to work. You establish businesses and you make the community flourish. But you are never, you are, you are never a person of the culture. You just live in the culture. You know always as a disciple of Christ, that your citizenship is in heaven. That you have a king whom you obey beyond anybody else, any other president, any other presidential decree or law given by Congress. That you obey God's laws first. And then you pay attention to the laws of the land. But you are willing. You are willing to be transformed in your heart. To let your heart cling. To let your will obey and decide to obey God's laws. Because it is God who establishes how we live in this, in this world. So that's what Paul says. Clean house, he says. Clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice. How about if we as a church, we decide no more malice, you know? When we hear malicious talk, we just say to each other, hey, time out, time out. Remember what Peter said? No malice. Pretense, envy, hurtful talk, 
What if we say that here at Hillside, we want a culture in which we are indeed the disciples of Christ, and if we hear any malice, any hurtful talk, we just say, time out. Remember what Peter said, no hurtful talk. And then we say, okay, I'm sorry. I am still growing, because that's what he said. I'm still drinking. I'm still drinking from God's kindness. I'm still growing. I'm still maturing. I'm still on the way. So the question is, are you a real Christian? You know, you may, you may come to church. Maybe you, you come to church because your parents force you. Maybe they, they, they just, or maybe they bribe you to come, right? They buy you cookies or something, and they say, just come to church. And, and it doesn't matter, but I know many, many people who grew up in the church, and at some point in time, you have to make the faith of your parents your own faith. You have to decide, is this my faith too? Is this my faith too? The fact that you come to church, that you attend church, is nothing, is 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 one little sign, but it has, says nothing about you being born of God, being transformed by God. So the, the question is, are you changed? Are you changed? When you look at your life, is your mind thinking differently because you met Christ, because He met you? Is your heart loving differently because you understood His heart? Is your will acting and pushing you to obey, to act differently because you understood His will is your behavior change? People that look at you, friends that still have compassion and love for you and care for you deeply to tell you the truth, do they say, yes, you are transformed? Do they say, you are definitely a disciple? And do you feel fully submit to God? You know, there are some things that we often say, well, I know God is my, my Lord, and, and, you know, but we really like Him as a Savior. You know? We don't want Him to lord over all aspects of our lives. And I, again, I like this pastor, Tim Kelly. He said, you know, if you have a house in a room and, and, and you invite a friend and say, this is your house, I will give it to you. But I have one room that I control myself. So you don't go, I mastered that room. Is that really your friend's house? You know, did you really give that ownership? Or if you sell a house to somebody and they know that there is a room in the house that is yours and they cannot enter there because you control that room. He said, really, the house, it's still yours. The same, the same thing with the Christian faith. You know, Peter says, you must love God with all your heart. You must love God as you travel. You must have a deep consciousness. Travel deep, deep, deep now like infants, he says, at the breast, like infants, like somebody who takes all of the nutrients from the mother. There is no other source. Basically, Peter says, make sure that you don't miss this important thing. Drink deep of God's pure kindness. What's in your drink? It should be God's pure kindness. And then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. And that's the call for us this morning. Let the Spirit change us. So, oh God, we, we have to say, help us to live as exile. Teach us how to use our minds, our wills. Your mind decides rightly. And that's what our prayer is, that our mind will decide rightly on issues that we need to decide, that we will, hi- we will have the mind of Christ, that our hearts will love Jesus and will love the things that He tells us to love. Kindness, compassion, goodness, and clean house of all malice, envy, and pride, and malicious talk. And then your will will obey God. It's a call. It's so, such a simple call. And it's such a heart because it's talking about our wills. How can we submit our wills to, to Him? Right? But he wants to be not only the Savior, but also the, war, the Lord, the Master of our lives.
And that's what Peter calls us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for the letter that Peter calls us uh, this morning to, to pay attention to. So help us to clean house and to, to just uh, love you with all our mind, hearts, and also to follow you with all of our will. Make us people that are in love, crazy about you. And make us people that know your love so much that we are daily transformed by it that our mind is daily renewed and confirmed. And make our wills be like yours, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. Will you please, please uh, stand and receive God's bl- uh, greeting, blessing. As we, as we leave the church, there is um, a prayer room here to my right side. And if you need to pray with somebody, please go and use that prayer room. People will love to uh, sit down and pray with you and support you. People of God, as we depart from here, may the grace of God the Father and the love of Christ the Savior and the sweet fellowship of His Spirit be with us in this coming week. Amen. You may go in peace.